This is Chris Brooks. Thank you for listening to this edition of Equip. Be sure and subscribe for free so that you don't miss an episode. For more information, visit our website, equipradio.org. This is Chris Brooks. Thank you for listening to this edition of Equip. Be sure and subscribe for free so that you don't miss an episode. For more information, visit our website, equipradio.org. Well, hey there, friends. Welcome to another exciting edition of Equip with Chris Brooks. I am so grateful that you've joined us today. Can you do me a favor? Strap on your seatbelt. We're going to navigate through the contours of culture, as always, with the lens of the biblical worldview on. But before we do that, let me remind you, this is the day that the Lord has made. He has given it as a gift so that you and I can rejoice and be glad in it. So let's do just that. Let's follow the words of the Apostle Paul. Let's rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Today, friends, I want to talk to you about how do you and I experience the good life? What is the good life as scripture defines it? How do we experience blessing, the blessing of God upon our lives? Now, that's important, and it's not a question that's asked or answered in a vacuum. The fact of the matter is, if scripture is correct and we know it to be true, then we live in a sinful world where there's often so many who struggle with anxiety. There's so much loneliness, brokenness, and heartache in our world. Everywhere we look seems to be broken families and divided communities. So how do we cultivate God's kingdom in our hearts so that we can experience a good life? Well, I'm glad you asked the question because today I have a resource, a book that I believe gives us a roadmap to the answer. It's simply entitled The Upside Down Kingdom. I love this book that is so full of wisdom for life from the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are a section of scripture that if you're unfamiliar with today, I pray not only that you grow in your familiarity, but deepen in your love for the teaching of scripture and for God's word. Uh, Chris Castaldo is the author of the book, and Chris serves as a lead pastor of New Covenant Church in Naperville, Illinois. He's also the author of Talking with Catholics About the Gospel, and today, the book, The Upside Down Kingdom. Chris blogs often at his website. You can find out more at our website, equipradio.org. That's equipradio.org. Chris, how are you today? Chris, it's a pleasure to be with you. Doing fine. It's great to be with you as well. And for all of our friends who may not know, you have a deep Moody connection, don't you? I do. I met my wife here at Moody. And uh, currently we have two of our sons who are students at Moody. Oh, man. So you are deeply invested into Moody. That is great. Now, we don't promise a wife to every person who enrolls, uh, but it often does work out that way. So praise God that it worked out for you that way. How are the good folks of uh, New Covenant Church doing? We're doing well. New Covenant is a suburb of Chicago, about an hour west uh, I call it the Achievatron. Uh, it's very driven. It's where you start preparing your child for the SAT at age six, where uh, <laughs> you know, park district sports is a prelude to the major league. So it's an interesting place to do ministry because those are some of the values that come up against Jesus' teaching in the Beatitudes. 
Wow. Wow. Well, you uh, went on um, from Moody to continue your own education and ultimately London School of Theology is where you get your PhD from. I'm bringing it up just to simply say you have uh, thought deeply about the scriptures and you've invested your life into understanding God's word and not only uh, the, the meaning of God's uh, word and the teachings of Christ, but the application of that to our lives. And I think this book helps to put that on display in a marvelous way. So let's talk about the origin story of the Upside Down Kingdom. What's the story behind the book? Yeah, so like you, Chris, I serve as a pastor, and uh, it was over the three last three years being brought to the end of myself. I was in a challenging place. Uh, someone has said that pastoral ministry is the art of disappointing people at a rate they can absorb. And as, <laughs> as you well know, the absorption rate has been rather thin of late. So yeah. there I was in, in a crucible, uh, trying to understand what success, what faithfulness looks like in, in, in such a season. And I was reading the Beatitudes, and there I found the solvent for my fear and discouragement. So I began to preach on it, and in due course it became uh, this manuscript. But it's precisely what you said earlier, the upside-down, counterintuitive nature of Jesus' kingdom, of relationship with God. Uh, that is what gave me the perspective I needed to navigate some of the challenges I was facing. How does uh, COVID affect pastors as you look back on it now, not only personally but relationally as you talk to other pastors? Well, I mean, there's, there's so many moments that come to mind. Uh, one particular day, I received an email in the morning from someone who said, you have blood on your hands. You're putting people's lives in peril for gathering us together in worship. And then later that day, uh, a congregant visited the, the office and said, you know, the fact that we have these COVID mitigation policies illustrates that we don't really trust Jesus, that we are, in fact, <laughs> bending the knee to the governor. And, you know, you just want to pull your hair out. <laughs> so that sort of illustrates the quandary many pastors found themselves in. You know, uh, it's important for me to clarify, though, with your pastor's heart, pastor's pen, as you write this book, there is a unique benefit, I think, to pastors, but that certainly is not inclusive of the entire intended audience. Who is the audience for the Upside Down Kingdom? Who do you hope read? And, and, and I guess you could say easily seven billion people you hope read this, but uh, in a more narrow perspective, who do you hope pick up, pick, picks up the book? We're all tempted to build our own empires, to, to see ourselves as standing in the middle of the universe in the spotlight. And, uh, and so that's the chief challenge that this book is trying to address. Uh, I was recently in Italy this summer doing some research, and I visited the David in Florence. And I was reminded that the David is 16 feet tall. And in fact, the Italians call him Il Gigante, the giant. And, and I thought, isn't that interesting? Little David defeated Goliath, the giant. But when we create a David, you know, we make him the giant. That's okay. how we live, all of us. Everything in our uh, in culture, in media, imposes itself upon us in that way. Um, and so the Beatitudes are a remedy 
by reminding us that Jesus alone is Lord and we exist for his purposes. I love that. I love that. Jesus alone is the giant. He is Lord and he's the main character of our stories, but it's so often forgotten. Uh, I love the portion of scriptures that are affectionately referred to as the Beatitudes. Uh, For those who may be unfamiliar, what are the Beatitudes? Right. So the Beatitudes uh, set of teaching at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus has started preaching the kingdom in Matthew 4. He's inviting people into relationship with the Father. Uh, There we find him casting out demons and he's healing and Matthew tells us he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And then that multitude, which has started to follow him, gathers around with the, the disciples there in the forefront uh, on a, a mountainside uh, there at Galilee, and Jesus begins to describe what his kingdom is like, what it, what it looks like to be in relationship with this Lord, to, to have a heart that echoes the the values and priorities of God. And uh, so that's what we have, poverty of spirit and mourning and meekness and hungering and thirsting for righteousness, mercy, purity of heart, peacemaking, and, and even persecution for righteousness' sake. That's what it looks like to be a person who's in relationship with God. But I think the attraction, maybe the love that many have had, not only myself, what many have had with the Beatitudes is that in many ways they are countercultural. They swim upstream, if you will, from uh, the way that we are used to thinking. Talk about the countercultural nature of the Beatitudes. Yeah, just take the first one, poverty of spirit. Um, so often we want power. Of course, in this cultural moment, uh, we're, we're tempted to grab the levers of power in whatever way we can and mm-hmm. uh, impose our agenda, both personally, in our churches, um, and, and beyond. And this beatitude reminds us of the trajectory of Jesus' life, that he came, as Philippians 2 tells us, uh, as a servant. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Theologians have described this pattern with the term upsilon vector. It, it's, it's a hopelessly esoteric-sounding term, but It's supremely practical. Imagine a U or a horseshoe. Um, That illustrates the contours of Jesus' life. He descended like the kernel of wheat that falls into the ground toward death. And then eventually he went to the cross, and there he bore our penalty. He he was our sin bearer. And uh, three days later, God raised him from the dead in consummate victory. And we who are in Christ have lives that reflect that same pattern. That's what poverty of spirit is concerned with. We, we recognize that we're utterly dependent upon God. Um, we, we, don't, we don't possess the requisite wisdom and strength to live this Christian life. But just when we're at the end of ourselves, we find his empowering presence, and he lifts us in, in resurrection power. That is altogether counterintuitive, uh, but that is the essence of what it means to follow Christ. Colin Hansen, vice president uh, and editor-in-chief of the Gospel Coalition, refers to your book. He says, when we realize the way up first goes down, then we'll find the power of God to overcome today's challenges. 
you know, part of what I've tried to drive home to my children and my discipleship of my children is that there are times when you will encounter truths in God's word that seem to be countercultural, counterintuitive, that maybe even you question, does this even make sense? When we encounter those moments, trust God's word because God's word has always proven to be right and wise. And in many ways, the Beatitudes confront us in a way that force us, Chris, to ask, will you trust the world's way or will you trust the way of Christ? What should we do when we're confronted with that question? Yeah, this is the burden of Jesus' teaching. Um, we look to the cross. We, we remember that, as the Apostle Paul put it, it appears to be foolishness. From the world's point of view, that's what it is. I mean, think about the apostle traveling through the Roman Empire. He goes to a Jewish person and he says, I know you're expecting your Messiah to come uh, as a conquering hero like Joshua or David of old. But in fact, he has come as a suffering servant. And in the fullness of time, he gave his life and was crucified on a Roman cross. However, God raised him from the dead and now he's calling you to trust in him. Think about how, how uh, challenging it would have been for people to embrace that, apart from the, the enlivening work of the Spirit. Or to the Roman, similarly. Uh, Romans value strength. Um, think of Trajan's column, you know, 26 feet high. There he is with a spiraling yes. relief of all his victories. Uh, but the message to that person is the same. Um, God loves you so much that he sent his king his Savior, and that King and Savior is alive now, uh, seated at the right hand of God. Um, and so I think that in the, those moments, we look to the cross, we look to the empty tomb, and we remember that's the reality by which we define ourselves and our mission. I love it. And, and I think that all of us need our hearts and our minds renewed, or we too will fall into the trap of anxiety loneliness, heartache that seems to grip the world around us, the despair that seems to be reigning so victoriously in the lives of so many and in our homes. Today, I want you to know the good life, to experience the good life, to be able to rightly define what it means to be blessed in the eyes of God and to experience that. That's why I'm recommending to you the Upside Down Kingdom. We're going to take a break, uh, but when we come back, Chris and I are going to delve into what does it mean that Christ has come to establish a kingdom? And we're going to ask ourselves, what was Jesus intending as he shared these countercultural teachings throughout the Beatitude? I think you're going to be richly, richly blessed. You can find out more about Chris Castaldo at our website, equippedradio.org. That's equippedradio.org. There you can also find out ordering information for the Upside Down Kingdom. We'll be right back, right after this. I wonder if you've been listening to our program for a long time, but have never been in touch with us. We'd love to meet you and to thank you for your support. You know, your financial gifts, no matter the size, make a huge difference. 
Every little bit helps us equip men and women to live and love Jesus in today's rapidly changing culture. Here's the number if you want to financially support Equip, 888-644-4144 or go online to equipradio.org. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks, talking about uh, a great book, The Upside Down Kingdom, Wisdom for Life from the Beatitudes. I want to encourage you to pick up your copy. Find out more at equipradio.org. That's equippedradio.org. Chris Castaldo is with me today, author of the book. Chris, I think Crossway did a really good job, an excellent job, by the way, with your cover design. Explain the cover design. Yeah, they really did. So you have the two kingdoms depicted. On top is the kingdom of man. Uh, that king holds a sword, and in his hand, other hand is a money bag. And, and those are the values. Uh, that's the agenda, if you will, contrasted by the kingdom of Christ, which is on the bottom, upside down. Um, that's how it looks from the world's point of view. And there Jesus is holding an olive branch, which represents peace. After all, he is the Prince of Peace, and he's holding up his hand to display a nail scar uh, because he gave his life on our behalf. And so there you have the contrast, and Mm. the calling of the Beatitudes is to recognize that we who are in Christ belong to this other kingdom, and those are the values by which we live. Sacrifice, um, giving ourselves to others, Uh, Even in the crucible of persecution, uh, we are the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. Wow, you you just summarized that so well, Uh, a sword and a money bag. Those two um, seem to dominate our cultural ethos. Yet Jesus comes with an olive branch and nail scar hands, and he offers to you and to me grace and forgiveness, the mercy that our soul so desperately longs for. And today, as we talk about the teachings of Christ, I'd be remiss if I did not encourage those of you who have yet to put your faith and trust in Christ to do so today, that you would respond to the gospel. And if that's you, I'd love for you to dial this number, 888-NEED-HIM, so that we can pray with you, answer your questions, and help you to take your next step in your journey with Jesus, 888 888- need him. When we talk about the book, one of the things that really stands out to me is the question of what did Jesus come to establish? You know, it's interesting. It's an interesting question. It's been answered different ways by different groups of people. As you know, Chris, some would argue, well, Jesus came to just simply establish a new moral order, a new moral code, if you will. In other words, this is their way of saying that Jesus is just a great uh, ethical teacher. That's what he is, a moral teacher. Uh, Others would say, no, he came to start a social revolution, that Jesus was a revolutionary, he was an activist, to use a modern-day term. But yet, the Scriptures teach us that Jesus came to establish a kingdom. Mm. What does that mean? Some people have put it this way. What the Jewish people expected God to do for the nation at the end of time, God has in fact done in and through his son Jesus in the middle of time. When he raised Jesus from the dead, the kingdom started. And now uh, that risen Savior has left on the earth his body. 
and they are given gifts, and they have this calling um, to, to bring his truth, to bring his hope, to bring his life to bear in the places where we live, with the gospel at the leading edge, exactly what you just said, Chris, inviting men and women to embrace King Jesus. So that's the kingdom, and we believe one day our king will return, and, and that which is true in the heavenly realm will be established on earth. The new Jerusalem will come down from above, and he will wipe away every tear, and we will live together in perfect unity. And that's the kingdom, and, yeah. and so uh, the Beatitudes is, is uh, concerned chiefly with what does it look like to be citizens of that kingdom? That's How do right. we embody that's right. it? And ultimately, how do we share it with others? Man, it radically alters my thinking when I recognize my citizenship is of a different kingdom. In many ways, it just reminds me I'm an ambassador in this kingdom deployed uh, by Christ to this this place that I find myself sojourning in, but representing the, uh, yeah, the morals, the ethics, the constitution, the instructions of uh, of a different kingdom, and we're we're meant to to do that for Christ. And I'm glad that the book is a reminder of that. Maybe the most prominent word in the Beatitudes is blessed. What what does that word mean? Right. It's it's typically translated blessed. Sometimes happy, um, fortunate, flourishing, or other words. It describes God's favor when a man or a woman has stepped out from the shadows of alienation and enter into a relationship with God, they have this gift, this blessing, that which the Beatitudes describes. And so if, if we want, are asking, what does it look like to belong to the king? That's the answer that the Beatitudes provide. When we look at the Beatitudes again, the countercultural part of it, to be poor in spirit, and uh, to to uh, to embrace that, you shared a little bit about that, the type of poverty that really makes us rich. But how does being poor in spirit really allow us to experience the good life? Yeah. Very often it comes in the context of suffering and trial. Um, you and I as pastors have a front row seat to this. If you were to ask me what, what is the, the chief need among the people I serve, I would say anxiety comes to mind first and foremost. You know, uh, the way we live in our context very often reflects the situation described by Michel de Montaigne, the philosopher, when he said, my life has been full of terrible misfortune, most of which has never happened. You know, this is the sense that catastrophe will befall us Mm. at any moment. And so there's this current of fear and dread that characterizes so much of life. And so I think... uh, Practically speaking, the Beatitudes are concerned with how do we walk through that sort of valley with our eyes lifted above the horizon, trusting Christ, appropriating the resources of grace that he provides? Maybe akin to this, and again, countercultural is something that I think we all have become more familiar with, and that is mourning. Yeah. Um, you know, if we're not careful, we'll think that the key to a great life, the good life, is about an upward trajectory that never no, never knows lament, never knows tears, never knows mourning. But yet mourning is a part of our formational process. It's certainly a part of the kingdom. Explain the wor- a role of mourning in the Christian life, in particular 
in contrast to our broader culture. Yeah. Jesus came as the suffering servant. Um, he showed us what it looked like to, to mourn. He, he was beside the, the grave of his friend Lazarus, and he wept. Think about that for a moment. God wept. And in the book, I tell a story of how I began to understand this better when I taught my son how to ride a bicycle. One of my children has a condition called severe hemophilia. His blood doesn't clot naturally. When he was a toddler, we had a big rubber pool in our living room where he learned how to walk because if he had fallen on the ground, that may very well have sent us to the emergency room on account of a bleed. So fast forward now, a few years later, he has his new shiny bicycle with the bell and his helmet is on, knee pads and elbow pads, and I'm going to teach him how to ride his bike. So (laughs) there I am behind him with my outstretched arms, uh, ready to thrust myself down upon the ground as a paternal pillow uh, to cushion his fall. And we went through this about uh, for half an hour or so. And of course, he fell, but thankfully not too uh, badly. And then as we're walking back home, I'm holding his hand. And it was as though God said, if you love your son that much to, to, to give your body for him, how much do you suppose I love you? Wow. Of course, we know the answer to that. He, God demonstrated his love for us in this, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. So when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, they will be comforted, I think that's how we find comfort, the realization that God abides with us. We don't see him with our eyes, but we know he is with us. He never leaves us nor forsakes, forsakes us, and that's where we find comfort. Today, I want you to find comfort. I want you to find joy, the happiness of knowing God's favor upon your life, the blessedness of relationship and communion with the Lord. All of these, all of these are uh, described in the book, The Upside Down Kingdom. Maybe your heart is getting as excited as mine is over this great book by Chris Castaldo. I want you to find out more at our website, equipradio.org. Don't go anywhere. Much more to come next up on Equip. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. So grateful that you're with us today. I want to take a moment to say thank you to all of our friends and partners who stand with us each and every day through your faithfulness and prayer and financial support. Today, I would encourage you, if you've not given to Equip before, or maybe you've not given in a long time, would you consider standing with us today? Your generosity is an expression of God's grace. It helps us to fulfill our mission of equipping Christians to more effectively live, share, and defend their faith. Can you call with your most generous tax-deductible gift now? 888-644-4144. That's 888-644-4144. Or go to equipradio.org. I love this quote from the book that the Beatitudes really give us a vision, a vision that invites us from the shadows of alienation into the purpose and joy of Christ's kingdom. I want you to experience that joy today. That's why I invited on Chris Cristaldo to talk about his newest book, The Upside Down Kingdom. Chris is uh, a lead pastor. He's also an author, and I think you're going to be blessed 
buy this book. Chris, uh, one of the things that's not popular in our culture today is the idea of gentleness. Gentleness is uh, not rewarded. I think about as a young man, there seems to be two maybe um, emotions, if you want to describe it this way, that we're taught as young men. Rage or competitiveness and lust. We're allowed to express those, but anything else is, is condemned. We certainly are discouraged from expressing gentleness. But that's not just a male problem. It's extended to women as well in our current culture. It seems to be so full of hostility and anger. So why is gentleness a part of the Beatitudes? Yeah. You know, there are some instances in which it's right to be angry. Jesus was angry. Uh, Matthew 23, he confronted the religious leaders. Whitewashed tombs, brood of vipers, he called them, you know. Um, Paul tells us, be angry, don't sin. Um, However, we're not to be bitter. We're not to dehumanize people. That's not to be... Uh, that sort of anger should never be a mode of thinking. It's it's far and away the exception. Uh, I remember when I was here at Moody, I, uh, one semester, one summer rather, I went home to do an internship, and the, uh, I'm from Long Island, New York, and uh, the pastor said to me, if the Lord calls you to serve here on Long Island, you'll never have to worry about someone stabbing you in the back. They'll stab you in the chest, and they'll tell you off as they do it, and then he had it. It's kind of refreshing, though, to know where people stand. You know, so there's a whole conversation we can have about the appropriateness of candor and um, boundaries and, and being real with people. Okay, we get that. But you're exactly right, Chris. Um, gentleness is the spirit of the kingdom. After all, uh, when Jesus came, that's what he showed us. Uh, that's how he related to the, the woman at the well. Uh, he He spoke to her about her need for living water and um, the way he put up with his disciples. I sometimes think one of the greatest miracles is Jesus lived three years with these disciples who are very much like us, imperfect, getting it wrong, and he's patient. <laughs> and he, you know, um, and so Jesus shows us what that looks like in action. Um, in our world, though, you're quite right, it's about domineering, aggression, and for men, particularly, uh, th- that is viewed as acceptable. And the Beatitudes throws a flag on that and says, no, that's, that's, that's not a characteristic of, of the kingdom. Yeah, I, I think that for all of us, we need to value gentleness more because uh, this cocktail of lust and rage and anger has produced a hypersexualized culture it's produced a culture of violence and those things that has led to multiply brokenness or things that we lament, but yet we feed again and again. And I think it's fair, Chris, for me to ask you not just what it looks like to be citizens of the kingdom who live out, uh, live the Beatitudes, but what does it look like when we don't? Yeah, right. And um, let me answer that question by giving you an image something I saw during this trip in Italy. I was in Naples, and Naples is famous for its artwork. Uh, you walk down the Spacanopoli, which is the main avenue, and they have all these art boutiques. And so there I saw a bust of Batman with the sacred heart of Jesus in his chest. I thought, oh, isn't that interesting? Mm. Now, it's not mm. uncommon to see the sacred and the secular put together. And my first thought was, well, this is post-secularism. 
Batman is the ultimate secular hero. He doesn't have a, a power per se. He has a utility belt, you know, with a grappling hook. Um, and yet inside his chest, you, he has this heart of Christ. And so it's, it's illustrating that in this moment of history, we're secularized, but underneath it, there really is a hunger and thirst for spirituality. I think that's true. But then I went a step further, thought, you know, this is an image of many evangelicals in America, whereby we, we describe our heart for Jesus. We belong to him. We're regenerate. And, but the way we engage public life often resembles Batman <laughs> more than it does the person of Jesus. We're combative. Wow. We're strident. We want to win. We want to dominate. You know? And so to your question, I think it, this calling to gentleness confronts us and uh, calls us to pause and consider how we are engaging culture even in this moment of history. I love that. And yet I think about it from a communal perspective as well, because the Beatitudes and so much of Scripture does not just simply have the type of hyper-individualistic perspective that we bring to the table when we read Scripture. Part of what I have to train myself to do is to make sure that I'm not inserting I in places where Scripture intends for me to think we. Yes. Um, so when I think about the community of believers, I think about the local church, what is this? What is the role of the local church as you think about the Beatitudes? And what does it look like lived out in the context of our social relationships? Yeah. Um, we need to be open with one another. We need to be vulnerable. We, we can't live the, the facade that we have it all together. Uh, Bonhoeffer, you know, uh, cast vision for life together uh, at this, the Confessing Church Seminary at Finkelwalde during the Second World War. Um, he used the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, but particularly the Beatitudes as the curriculum. And his point was, we have to be real with one another as the body of Christ if we're going to radiate hope in this world. So, yeah, let's resist the temptation to, to combativeness, uh, one-upmanship, you know, um, pulling the the pin out of the rhetorical hand grenade and throwing it over the fence, that that's not the way of Christ. Um, yes, we have to uh, pursue justice, you know, hunger and thirst for righteousness, justice. That's true individually in, in our public life. And so, you know, the Bible always has this delicate balance between grace and truth. It's not an either-or, it's a both-and. Um, but the Spirit is always marked by the meekness, the gentleness, poverty of spirit and mercy that are envisaged here in the Beatitudes. Yeah, I love this. And yet uh, my heart has to also remember uh, that I think the first place for us to live out the Beatitudes is actually in a uh, more well-defined, smaller unit, and we call it the family. Yeah. And I think for you, I love that you dedicated the book to Luke and Philip. Simeon, Eliza, and Malachi. I love that you start there. Talk about our families and the importance of this book. How does the upside down kingdom uh, envision our families? Yeah. Well, as pastors, you and I do funerals, and there's no better place than a funeral to see what matters most. Who, who attends a funeral? Your family, your close yes. friends, and they talk about your life. And it's in those moments you realize that it's the investment we make 
in the people closest to us that uh, typically has the most enduring value and significance. And it's so easy for us, you know, uh, I'll, I won't speak about you, Chris, but I'll speak about myself. You know, busy, driven, doing work for the kingdom to overlook the need, to not have sufficient boundaries to be present and to listen and to ask probing questions in order yes. to cultivate faithfulness in our families. But that is what we're called to. And uh, as moms and dads, that is the first congregation we are to serve. Maybe you could argue that the most despised virtue in our culture is meekness. Do you think that's right? Well, if you read um, Friedrich Nietzsche, you would reach that conclusion. <laughs> he absolutely <laughs> despised it. Yeah, that's right, because men are supposed to be strong, your, your point earlier. Right. Uh, the will to power, the, the superman. Yep. I am um, ran. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Uh, so in that chapter, I use an example of one of my heroes, Jackie Robinson. I had the privilege of yes. being a pastor to one of Jackie's teammates. Lee Fund was the pitcher wow. for the Brooklyn Dodgers. <laughs> yeah, and Lee was, uh, from his earliest years, uh, a Christian. He came to faith as a child. So when he was playing, he was he sat next to Jackie on the bus, something that not every teammate would do, and they they were quite close. And he told me, Lee did. I never saw Jackie lose his cool. Uh, That's amazing. It is amazing. This is the untold story about Jackie Robinson. He was a committed Christian. And and so it's it's that resolve to to embody meekness that we see in Jackie. And if, if you read about his life, you understand it was done because of his devotion to Christ. He saw his work in the major league as his calling. It's how he took up his cross and it's how he manifests the the character and presence of Jesus. Hearing that statement, knowing that over and again he was confronted with brutality, cruelty, reminds me that none of us, none of us can live out these beatitudes, these virtues of the kingdom, if you will, apart from the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Yes. And so, friends, as we take this break, maybe you've tried to live a moral or an ethical life out of your own strength, and maybe you have seen with your own eyes and experienced all too often the heartbreak that comes with failure around trying to live a virtuous life out of your own strength. I think one of the most cruel things that any of us could do is to encourage people to be virtuous apart from regeneration. You need a savior. You need to be born again. You need to experience new life in Christ because that is the only way that we could ever be empowered to be able to live out the perfect law of God. So again, as we take this break, I want to encourage you, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, if today you know you need mercy, grace, and salvation. I urge and encourage you to dial the number 888-NEED-HIM. That's 888-NEED-HIM. As you take this uh, final break of the day, I do want to encourage you to consider supporting the program. Can you do me a favor and uh, dial the number 888-644-4144? Your gift, either a one-time gift or a monthly partnership gift, enables us to equip Christians to more effectively live, share, and defend their faith. It creates a platform in which we can have great and fruitful discussions 
like the one we're having today about the Upside Down Kingdom with Chris Castaldo. I want you to go to our website, equippedradio.org. So there you can learn more about how to support the program prayerfully and financially. Whatever you do, don't go anywhere. Much more to come next up on Equip. Here on Equip, it's our goal to help listeners like you to understand and apply biblical truth to the issues we encounter in our culture, our community, and our home. But we need your help. Will you join our family of equippers by making an ongoing monthly donation to Equip? When you do, you'll have exclusive access to regular encouragement from me, as well as our Equipper webinars and other special offers. Become an Equipper today. Call 888-644-4144 or visit EquipRadio.org. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. Today, I'm so grateful to be joined by Chris Cristaldo, and he is the author of the book, The Upside Down Kingdom. And uh, man, what a blessing it's been to have this conversation with you, Chris. I'm super grateful that you carved out time to be with me. When the Bible tells us to rejoice, man, that is a strong command, more than just a suggestion. It is a command. Talk about how this plays out in your own life in a personal way. Yeah, we, our conversation started by talking about the pastorate and how challenging it's been over the last three years. I think one of the big lessons for me is you can't look on the horizontal plane at your church, at your accomplishments uh, for satisfaction, for joy. Uh, it's found in one place, and it's in Jesus. It's in the prayer closet. It's, it's waking up each morning, making a cup of coffee, walking around, talking with the Lord with the Bible in your hand. That's the place where you will find joy each and every time. And if you happen to find it elsewhere, praise God. Uh, but the source of our joy must be that relationship with the living Christ. Yeah, that has to be the source of it. And it's so often uh, blurred, marred, if you will, as we traverse through a fallen world, so often I get distracted. This is why I need to live in his word. I need to keep myself ever mindful of what the world looks like through the eyes of Jesus. And in many ways, as we're reading the Beatitudes, Chris, it seems to me that it's a reminder of what the world ought to be and what the world should look like and does through the eyes of Christ. Yeah, I mean, again, we, we mentioned Paul earlier. I think about him walking through Asia Minor, uh, mm-hmm. going to the synagogue, sharing the good news, but in due course, they, they pull him outside the city and they stone him nearly to death. What enables him to get up and go to the next town and preach the message again? I think it's this conviction that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is with him. And although he's surrounded by suffering, uh, this this momentary affliction cannot begin to compare with the eternal weight of glory awaiting him. When I was in Italy, um, I went to uh, the place where um, the Castle Sant'Angelo, and if, if you listen to opera at all, there's a famous aria from there, Lechuvan le Stelle, uh, the, the stars are shining. Listen to it, Chris, you'll cry. I guarantee you'll cry. I mean, it's just the most sorrowful song imaginable. <laughs> and uh, it's about a man who's about to lose his life before the firing squad. So I, I had it on my playlist. I was in Italy. I'm listening to opera. 
Well, the next day, we went to the Mamertine prison, where Paul the Apostle is believed to have been kept. It was wretched. If you go there, there's this subterranean cell. We believe that uh, next to it was the, um, the garbage area. I mean, it was, it was altogether deplorable. And yet, when you read Second Timothy, the letter he wrote from that place, it's filled with joy. It's filled with anticipation. He is going to see the king. That's the difference it makes when you have a, a true living relationship with, with the king of kings. Chris, I know that your hope for something like this, a project like this, has to be broad and wide. But if you had to be specific, what is your hope for those who pick up the book and read it? Yeah, twofold. First, for it to do business with our own souls. Uh, mm. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. The Beatitudes are concerned with purity of heart. Um, it's like dredging a river. I once saw a program on this. You know, they send these units down, like comb, scrape the bottom of the river. I thought if this river had emotions, it would be crying right now. Um, it's painful. But it's necessary, you see, in order for things to live in the river. That's what the Beatitudes do for us. It confronts our idolatrous affections, and it brings about purity of heart. That's the first desire. The second is for it to embolden our witness. You know, uh, the beginning of the Beatitudes, chapter 4 of Matthew, is concerned with the preaching of the kingdom. And then afterward, it goes right into, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. This, yeah. this can't be hidden, uh, but it's the gift we, we give to a lost and dying world. And so my desire is for it to uh, fan the flame of our, our commitment to gospel ministry such that we would actively reach out with the good news. Our, call, uh, our good friend Todd Wilson calls you a model pastor theologian. I, I agree with him. This is our first time getting a chance to talk in, in this format. But Chris, I, I've had nothing but joy having this conversation with you. And uh, I am also um, a wonderful um, fan, if you will, of Crawford Loritz. He's, he's played a huge role in my life. And he says this concerning your book, that truly when we embrace the counterintuitive vision of the way of life, of the Beatitudes, we will be portraits to a watching world of what it looks like to live according to God's heart. That's that faithful witness that Chris just referred to. I pray that not only would you have a relationship with Christ, but that you would be burdened to see others have a relationship with Christ. So I encourage you, go and proclaim the gospel until all have heard, until Christ returns. Chris, thanks for being with me today. Thanks, Chris. My pleasure. Friends, I want to encourage you to get a copy of the book, The Upside Down Kingdom, and to consider supporting Equip. Find out more by going to our website, equipradio.org. That's equipradio.org. Until we're together again next time, as always, remember, Equip with Chris Brooks is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Hey there, friends. Chris Brooks here. Do you think it's possible for you and I to be joy-filled anytime? Well, Marcus Warner and Chris Corsi do. They're students of the Bible and brain science, and they think it's possible for us to have joy-filled lives no matter what circumstances we may be facing. Let's talk about it on the next edition of Equip.
Listen live weekdays at 1 Eastern, noon Central on the Moody Radio app or EquipRadio.org.